Hi, my name's Shelley Flett. Welcome to the Dynamic Leader Podcast, where I share insights, experiences, successes, and failures with leaders from across a broad range of industries and business structures. I maintain that each of us needs to be open to sharing our experiences and making the leadership playground safe enough to fail, to grow, to have fun, and ultimately become more dynamic. So please sit back and enjoy. And welcome back to another Dynamic Leader Conversation. Have you ever thought to yourself, there has to be more? Or questioned, you know, why you were doing what you were doing? Uh, I know that I certainly have. In fact, I've done it a number of times throughout my life and my career. Um, Today's guest is Rachel Service, and she's going to help us to unpack and explore this a little bit further. Uh, She is the founder uh, of the Business Happiness Concierge uh, and after experiencing one of her own aha moments, uh, realised that there had to be more to work and life. Um, Her business itself uh, is a cultural consultancy uh, that empowers thousands of people across the globe to reach their full potential. um, And that is some really amazing work. So thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. It's great to have you here. Great to see you again. (laughs) I, first of all, want to know a little bit more about your aha moment. Gosh, the more I talk to people, the more I realize we've all got these secret, oh my gosh, moments that we have. And for me, one of my many aha moments before I had the privilege of being a leader where I had even more was when I found myself um, going through a break, break up um, and coming to almost my second, almost third burnout with adrenaline um, adrenaline fatigue, burnout and anxiety and realizing, you know, it's time to go to my spiritual healer that of course is Beyonce. So I went to a Beyonce concert in New York. I was living in Melbourne in the time and I thought this is going to be great, real mood booster, get my, get my energy back. And I just cried. I cried throughout the whole concert from getting, being in line to the merchandise, to the opening act, to cleaning up my makeup in the bathroom, to the concert, to the subway and the way home. When I caught my reflection on that subway, I realized, oh, I'm the problem. It wasn't, oh, 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 it was. <laughs> and I thought, if I can enjoy things that used to put me up, I've got to make a change. And they say that, don't they, Shelley, that, you know, people can tell you what's good for you, but until you feel something that you can't really handle staying the same, that's when you make a change. And so mm-hmm. that was my aha moment many years ago and then I came back to Melbourne and said right let's get out a new notepad things have to be different where do I start I better figure out what I want because it's not what I'm experiencing right now it's really interesting you say that because I I work with clients that sometimes I go the pain of you continuing to live your life is actually still not great enough for you to move to the unknown which is a little bit scary do you find that with the people that you work with is that sometimes the the pain has got to become or the discomfort has got to be so great for them to actually even consider doing something that is new, different, scary. Yeah, you're so right because on paper you think, well, if you're miserable and unhappy, why wouldn't you do anything about it? And logically that makes a ton of sense. Whereas emotionally, ex- experts have discovered that we're actually more motivated motivated by the term loss aversion, which is we're motivated by what we could lose as opposed to what we could gain. 
And that's a bit of a tricky nuance when it comes to making change, motivated by what we could lose. But what we actually do is we benefit from things staying the same. We benefit in our comfort zone. And when we are in our comfort zone, it's known, it's certain. And so we think, well, we don't want to lose what we do know, even if I don't like my job, even if I'm not feeling fulfilled in a relationship, even if I'm wanting to earn different money or have different types of dynamics or do different kind of work. You know, we're so much more motivated by that. And instead, you know, when we have these aha moments, we make an internal decision with our internal locus of control, which is I am no longer willing to accept that this is my reality and I'm no longer comfortable anymore. Now, I tell that story about Beyonce because it sounds a bit lighthearted, but when I realized that I couldn't enjoy something that used to give me such joy or hope, Mm -hmm. and for me, joy looks different now in in a pandemic and whatnot, if I couldn't enjoy something that gives me hope, for me, that's a deal breaker. Now, for people in my care, the deal breaker for them might be, well, I don't mind not enjoying my job, but oh my gosh, the deal breaker was I got this really jolting piece of feedback. I had no idea everybody else was noticing that I was complaining the whole time. That's mortifying. That's the deal breaker. For other people, a deal breaker might be having a conversation with someone they love thinking, I just don't care about this anymore. (laughs) Something has to change. Or it could be anything in your life, really. It could be anything. But when we make that decision to ourselves, I'm no longer willing to accept this for myself, mm-hmm. we are able to lower our expectations but keep our standards high. And when we meet our standards at that sounding line, that's where we can really start making positive action in small baby steps that are a little bit out of our comfort zone but still feeling good for us, yeah. I love the fact that you use like the locus of the controller, the comfort zone the learning zone the panic zone is something that I often refer to and particularly over the last you know couple of years um, focus on what you where you can grow where you can learn uh, what you can do about it dip your toe in Um, you say in your book what if my comfort zone is my panic zone (laughs) and I'm really curious about that yeah. Well, Tom Zinniger, a fa- famous pedagogue and educator, discovered that there were three zones that we typically find ourselves in. Number one is our comfort zone. Number two is where we grow. That's our learning zone. And number three, when we step outside our competence and our confidence, that's when we hit our panic zone. Now, in the panic zone, adrenaline's on an all-time high. And if any of your listeners or watchers are adrenaline junkies, like me, they might find that quite appealing. (laughs) Yeah, quite a few of us find that quite thrilling. And it's what the New York Times famously referred to as the quote, the busy trap. When we feel busy, we feel important, needed. And the great thing about adrenaline, particularly if you're in a work setting, is that work can often give you so many gifts. When we're in our panic zone, we're stretched, we're intellectually stimulated. That can be quite fulfilling. We can be pulled to a place of mastery. Yet on the flip side, it's not sustainable. So you can be a star for a short amount of time. And I know this myself from lived experience with adrenaline fatigue, commonly known as burnout. But I also know that it has a darker side. And that panic zone, while it can take us to mastery, it can also take us, yes, to burnout, but also to complacency, where we can feel system, we can feel both, uh, what's the word, Uh, bored and overwhelmed at the same time. And boredom is one of the first signs that burnout experts say, but also when we're bored, we are our least helpful selves. And so I don't know if any of your listeners or viewers can relate to the feeling of being really busy, but also quite apathetic. 
and oh, I don't know what I could care about. It's hard to get excited about things, yet there's so much going on. Almost feels like you're on this treadmill and you can't get off, even though you resent the treadmill. <laughs> and that's great because preventing burnout is much better than having to deal with it after the fact. So is it the is it is it that that's so much going on, but I still feel bored that should be a really big warning bell to people? Yeah, the, the, the number one emotion my clients describe is I feel overwhelmed and maybe anxious, but I feel overwhelmed yet I feel trapped by my circumstances. I feel trapped and I don't feel fulfilled. And the temptation is when we're in that zone to, you know, let's get rid of this. Let's get a new job, new career, new life, new spouse, new house, you name it, new, new, new. Let's get rid of the old and bring in the new. And for some people, a life renovation is exactly what the doctor ordered. It can be years in the making. But for many of us, just taking a tiny, teeny step to just check in with ourselves and say, if there was one thing that was moving away from and one thing I was moving towards, what could that small change make? We call it the progress principle. Pardon me. Researchers have called it the progress principle. You know, they did the study of 12,000 diary entries where they discovered that feelings of making progress in your life at work really contributed to fulfillment at work. Mm. And often we can feel as though we're not making progress. We're just in a holding pattern in our life. And when we realize, gulp, that, oh, we can either accept a situation, leave a situation, if safe to do so, or attempt to change a situation, all of a sudden we move from the apathy and we go, oh, we've got choices. Oh, well, that, that's interesting. If I look at my loss of vision and I start thinking about if I have choices, what small choices could I make that could help me get a different result and make small steps to get <laughs> to come back to your comfort zone if you need a minute in between learning zones? Yeah. And, and to move to what you want as opposed to what you might not Exactly. And often when we say, well, what do you want? So many of us have these kind of out of date expectations or expectations that might have served us a few years ago, a version of success, a job that we think we should have. And it's okay to outgrow your life. I think it took me personally a long time to realize that outgrowing your life was actually a good thing. It meant that you were mm. evolving and growing. And it didn't mean that you were better or less than anyone else or closer or more isolated. It just meant that you've changed and that's a good thing. What might we need to do to ensure that the external world supports our internal world? Mm. Um, and if you do feel this way, you're not alone. And it's actually a good thing. I promise you on the other side of making a few small changes, it'll feel pretty good. I can promise you that. It's um, one of the questions that I was going to ask you around that, you know, uh, outgrowing your life is that how many times does the average person do this throughout their life? Like how many <laughs> versions um, yes. Cause I notice myself, I um, go through, I outgrow my life once a decade. And I know that because I've actually done some work on when was the last, when was the last time this thing happened? It was like, Oh, I was this old. And, and then I started to realize, Oh, there's a pattern here once a decade, right, right from when I was 10 years old. Exactly. And I'm so, I'm so thrilled that you brought up the topic of passions because our life is a series of behaviors which show our patterns and neither right nor wrong. It's just understanding us ourselves, isn't it? But to, um, to manage, I suppose, people's expectations for some high performers and fast changes, they'll find that they're actually changing at an annual rate. By the end of the year, they think, oh, outgrown that job, ready for the next or next evolution. But yeah. for the majority of people, it's typically this three to five year cycle where things are good, things are good, things are okay, things are okay. Oh, I don't know how I ended up here. 
And what I do notice is with my clients, when we stay in that, I don't know how I end up here, that's when our less helpful self can turn up. Instead, what I invite people to do is um, maybe unsubscribe from the new year, new you, if that's not authentic to you, and more just tune into you. If this could work for me, what could that look like? And if I have outgrown anything, I don't need to throw it away. What if I could open a different relationship to what I'm experiencing and putting it into the workplace context? If I've changed, if I'm wanting different things, what if I open that conversation with my manager or colleague to say, hey, since we last connected, I've achieved X and Y, or I'm curious about this, could this be possible? Could something different be possible? And then we completely change the conversation for what there is to lack to there has to be more. Yeah. What else could there be to gain? That's great. Do you think that there's still a little bit of reluctance for people to do that because they're scared of putting it out there and then being rejected or putting it out there and then being disadvantaged in some way? Yeah, absolutely. And we know from our conversations now over six, seven years of speaking to people in the workplace that the majority of employees are avoiding having what they would call a scary conversation, which is here is what I want or here is what I need. Is that possible? And mm. it's kind of like this industrial revolution, archaic way of looking at a hierarchical system in which we work. Of course it is. We're working for organizations. There is a structure that that um, that fortifies that. Um, but what I do notice is when we shift from if we focus, what could be the worst thing that could happen? And then we ask ourselves, what's the likelihood that will actually happen? Is it likely that you'll get fired for asking a question? Is that fear talking, false evidence appearing real? And when we say, well, what's the best that could happen? Well, the best thing that could happen is they could say yes. And what's the kind of five out of 10, what could happen? Oh, well, I could communicate my view. My boss could know where I'm coming from. And we could ask the question, what could be possible? There's a lot of conversation out there online about preparing for conversations as if it's a negotiation and everything is in life can be a negotiation, but it can be a place of collaboration and equal partnership, which is to say, hey, here's what I'm noticing about me, own it yourself. Here's what I'm mm. curious about. Are you sharing that? Or is that a possibility? Is it in the realm of possibility? It's something we teach in sales training and whatnot. And the other person might say, look, not at all. And what I like to teach to my clients is, when you have clarity of what is possible and what is not possible, you can make decisions based on your needs. But when we bring up, when we ignore our needs, we kind of bring up all this other crap to dance around what we need instead of saying, hey, here's what I need. Here's what I'm curious about. Is there scope? Is there room? Could this be? We can actually get clear, clear on that. And once we have the answer, we make a decision whether we stay or go. Mm. More likely than not, when we have that decision, we actually go, oh, great. That's not something work can give me if it's at work. That's cool. How can I get that outside of work or if I need to somewhere else? Yeah, so mm. think about. And and it's not playing with absolute, absolutistic kind of thinking either. It's like, well, either, either it's going to be this or it's going to be that and they're at polar ends of the spectrum. It is... And I like the way that you go, well, it could be one, it could be 10, it could be five, it could be six or seven or or three or eight or whatever. I really like that concept of scale because it opens up um, options. I think with yes or no, there's choice, but there's that limited choice. And I think that fundamentally you play the two off against each other versus when you have 10 possibilities within the in the mix that really changes it and I don't know I feel like that would reduce the 
um, fear that might come around that because there's just so many different ways the conversation would go. Um, and you start to kind of think about it and explore the different alternatives before you enter the conversation. Exactly, exactly. And so often we put pressure on ourselves sometimes to know what the answer is or to expect yeah. what, how can they're going to respond. And, hey, we're humans, of course, we're doing that. It, there's so much reduced anxiety and increased confidence when we focus on what can I control, what, how I communicate, great. Well, first I need to do a bit of prep. What do I want to happen here? And the first question we can ask is, do I want this to work? Do I want this partnership to work? Do I want this conversation to work? Do I want this relationship to work, work setting or otherwise? Right. If the answer is yes, proceed. If no, piss off and resolve. <laughs> or say, hey, I've come to I come to an end. Here's what I want and need. I'm being a bit brash there, but I just suppose I'm giving permission. But more often than not, if we say, okay, I do want this to work. How could it work? We don't always need to know the how, but we do have to share our intention. So let's say you and I are, let's say you're my boss and I say, hey, I'm, I'm wanting our dynamic to work. What I'm noticing real, recently is I'm turning up to work wearing a black blazer. It feels like me. That's my rock and roll style. I'm feeling as though there's another way to dream. I'm just being fictitious here. What could be in the scope of possibility, Shelley? What else is out there? And you say, Rachel, the dress code is, you know, wearing what I'm saying. There's no move, there's no moving room. I go, okay, we'll make a decision there. Or I'll say, oh, I didn't know I had the freedom to dress differently. It's lovely. Thank you very much. And I think what I hear a lot from people leaders on a more serious note is they feel a lot of pressure to have all the answers. And I know that myself as a leader, I think instinctively when a, when a team member asks me a question, I'm thinking, oh, do I know the answer? Do I know the answer? And instead we can kind of reduce that stress mm. and increase that openness by saying, hey, here's what I'm craving. Something to think about. Don't need an answer now. But I guess I'm just been wondering, is something like this possible? And you'd be so surprised how people respond when we extend that openness. Um, mm. It might sound a bit esoteric, but actually when we just lessen the need to know the answer, we can focus on, I don't need to make a decision in the room. All I need to do is share what I'm curious about. And if the answer is no, that's cool. But we don't need to make a yes or no in the room. There's so much um, there's so much room within that. Yeah. So what would you say when someone enters that room with a, we don't need to make a decision in the room, but they are met on the other side with, well, you've got to choose right now. What's it going to be? <laughs> yeah. how, how do you get out of that? Like, is there an eject button? Yeah, totally. I think um, a great confidence building technique is to know what your get out of jail button is. And examples of that can be as simple as you give me a lot to think about. Let me come back to you tomorrow. And we teach things like this when we have nuanced conversations, when you feel yourself going from a green zone to a yellow zone to a piping hot kettle and thinking, oh, I just want to really tell this person what I think or win the conversation, right? When we want to win a conversation, we got to slow down and find what we call a circuit breaker just to change our mood and whatnot. But um, in terms of your um, stepping back, if you're met with an ultimatum, it's okay. You don't need to meet fire with fire. Mm. You can meet fire with water or smoke or whatever else you like. So you might say, you give me a lot to think about. Give me a minute, I'll come back to you. Or you might say, ah, seems like we're at a crossroads here. I just want to let you know I'm heard what you've said. Let me just digest and come back to you. You want to have a series of ways to buy yourself some time and then you can hang up the phone and scream at the wall if you like. We can download with your, you know, your special people or you can download with a coach or you can just check in with yourself. Am I okay with where that conversation's going? 
And what mm. I do also want to say is if you do, if and when you meet fire with fire, it happens. That's life. Of course it happens. There's nothing wrong with coming back and saying, hey, I've reflected on our conversation. I had a conversation like this a few weeks ago and I'm totally proud of how I handled that. And I just want to let you know that wasn't my intent, but I do want to own how that went down. Can we start again or can we look at things differently? Mm. And I think the other person can say no if they want, but I think there's something about checking in with yourself and saying, hey, I think we can do that differently or I know we made a decision that week, but something's not sitting right with me. Are you open to exploring that? If they say no again, well, then that's another bit of data for you as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So don't get lured in by any um, statements that might come out that send you back to what I would say the schoolyard around, well, you must be a liar then, or you're a hypocrite, or, but you said, you know, you're not allowed to change your mind. I think as adults, we, we operate a lot of the time like we're still in the school, the schoolyard. It's like, well, you said this, and and I know that it comes from a schoolyard because my kids bring it home. But <laughs> mum, you said, and I was like, I remember. <laughs> exactly, and it's it's okay. I think especially at work with you're an adult. You know, often we're bringing, well, I see this all the time in the workplaces, we're bringing our passions, as you so beautifully, eloquently said earlier, to the workforce, and no one's really a cheerleader or, uh, I was going to say a sheriff, what do they have in sporting games? Referee. <laughs> no, nobody's really a referee saying, time out, all right, Rachel, here's what you're going to do, unless we have the, the privilege of having a coach or a mentor or whatnot. And so if we, if and when we do find ourselves going home at night or on the weekends, not feeling good about how something went down at work, it's not always about us, but what we can work on and fortify is our, is our boundaries for sure, mm. communicating our needs and being okay with stepping away with things we can't control. Mm. And not everything is reflective of us. We do play a role in things. It's not always about us, but I think if we can separate our morality, our integrity from how we communicate in our job, we kind of separate those two things. Mm. You know, the great research has found that when we reflect on a task, not only does it reduce the perceived difficulty, but studies have also shown that it separates our self-worth from our behavior. Mm. Now, when we have a self-reflection practice in place, and that can be as simple as what went well today, what would I do differently, if anything, and what can I celebrate? It can be as simple as that. We actually separate our self-worth from our behavior. And when we separate that, we can say, I'm a good person. I'm a kind person. I'm a trustworthy person from, I did a shitty thing at work. That doesn't mean I'm less trustworthy or a bad person. It just means I need to not do that again. Or I interrupted that person and need to not do that again. Or I like so-and-so, I trust so-and-so, but I don't like the behavior that so-and-so exhibited. And then when we lead with that, we can actually say in that feedback conversation, hey, I noticed last week that when we had that conversation, this thing happened. You can honestly say, that doesn't seem like the person I know. That doesn't seem like you, or that seemed out of character, or what was up with that? That was a bit weird. What do you think about that? And we can actually be quite uh, genu uh, genuine about that. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to our ability to communicate. It's probably the one thing that I'm talking to every human I interact with about the most is um, communication and the, the words and what they represent to you and not necessarily what they represent to someone else. And, um, and that there's a never ending um, piece of work that we could all be doing on communication. Um, exactly. exactly. And so focusing on it, right? 
Exactly. You know, the other day my spouse and I went out for lunch and I'd had a series of, I had a sales conversation, a team member conversation, and I think another conversation. I can't remember what it was. And my spouse said, oh, how was your day? And I said, here are the 20 questions I asked in every conversation I had today. And it was checking in on assumptions. Does that make sense? Yes, no. Are we on the same page? Yes, no. Here's what I've heard. Is that what you've heard? Great. I've heard this, but that's different to why we're here today. Do you agree? You agree. So what are we agreeing on? And I went through this list and they were rolling their eyes at me like, Rachel, you're being a bit dramatic. But what I realized about that, and this is because we're working virtually, is that I'm working three times as hard to understand, are we on the same page? And it's an old hack from sales training. Are we on the same page? But the act of doing so removes your biases, your prejudices, and your preferences. Not completely possible to just say, am I giving you what you expect and what you need and what you want? Mm. And here's what I need, expect, and want. And those are three things we can write down if we're not sure how to have a conversation. And when we have that, we go, oh, well, we're on the same page and we can actually completely take the emotion out of that. But to ask those 20 questions, it takes ages, right? Well, I only took 45 minutes, but you have to, con- one has to consciously go, I'm here. Oh, I'm having a feeling about that. I'm putting that to the side. Or, oh, that word means something to me. I had a jolt in my stomach. Not sure if that's about me. We have to work so hard at removing what words mean to us to actively hear someone else. And that's why communication is such an ongoing practice because whoever is able to turn off their biases, no one. Um, So just know that even if you're at the top level, you're at the board level, executive level, running your own business level, or you're new to people leadership, it never ends because we never stop thinking. I think that's a beautiful thing. But I think also we can be a little bit more compassionate to ourselves when we think about if we're not always getting it right, we're just doing our best, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. And I would say, you know, those questions that you ask, uh, I often shy away or recommend, you know, asking closed questions is not necessarily always going to get you what you need. But, but hearing you say that, I was thinking, yes, I can, you're getting, you're getting certainty. You are making sure that you're on the same page or that what you're perceiving is what they're perceiving. So yeah, it was good to kind of hear you do that because I can see, oh, yes, there's benefit in, in asking a series of close questions. Um, but I think questions in general just hold so much value and so much gold and opportunity. 100%. What's the phrase? Assumptions make the ass out of all of us. <laughs> and I think that's such an interesting lens because in this world, we're sharing information, we're sharing knowledge. And if we're a leader, we're balancing both appreciation and direction. Mm. You know, we're giving that feedback. I appreciate you. Thank you. Here's how you could do things differently or keep doing that or do that a little bit differently. We're balancing those things. And so um, by asking those questions, we have to think, how much of this conversation needs my knowledge and would benefit from my passion and how much of it is pulling these insights from the person that I want to succeed when I'm not in the room. That's great for succession. That's great for scaling. And it's great for fortifying a really great culture where yeah. people can give peer to peer feedback. Now, if this success of this project task person's confidence relies on my knowledge, my expertise, that's not sustainable, but it's not fortifying that person's sense of self. And when someone has a stronger sense of self, 
they can take on feedback, they can give feedback, and they can separate their separate part of me, their identity and self worth with the behavior. Now, when you can separate that, you can receive feedback and just get on with the job. Now, when confidence gets in the way, this just um, it takes longer. So as a result, none of us have a 10 out of 10 confidence, like to <laughs> 10 out of 10 skill. If as leaders, if we're thinking, 20% knowledge base here and 80% do you understand what would get in your way if you could what would it look like what would you love to do differently what can we succeed and what can we close the door on so we stop ruminating and start reflecting then that person can fly without you because they've checked in with you as opposed to seeking your approval mm -hmm. completely different conversation and that takes Chains. time and patience so much patience <laughs> Do you have to regulate your own emotions? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that if we shift the dynamic on that, on those conversations, and we are, and leaders get better at asking and, you know, pulling information from people or getting, helping people to understand their own thinking, that we will reduce how often and to what extent we outgrow our life? Because rather than outgrowing our life, we're just always really connected with it through the support of those questions. I'm just thinking. Oh, I'm loving those links. I'm kind of making links as you say that. I think what we're talking about is we're teaching, our job as leaders is to teach people how to think so they can solve any problem. Yeah. When we teach someone how to do, we're getting them to a baseline capability. When we teach someone how to think, anything's possible. And when, when you teach someone how to reflect, they can solve their own problems internally and outwardly and they can start a dialogue with themselves which is is this a risk is this a reward is this something i'm not sure about and is this something i need help with mm. this is often referred to as self-coaching in mm. the workplace setting of course now when someone is coachable you can coach them what's even more powerful is that someone is able to reflect themselves bring to you as a leader here's what i don't know about here's what i want to celebrate and here's what i need your help with you know, you're teaching them how to think. And that's why personal growth directly impacts professional growth and thereby commercial growth and profitable growth, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's directly linked. When you teach people how to grow, they grow the business for you. And what mm -hmm. business leader wouldn't want that? So you've, you've gone to the growth cycle, which was going to be, you know, one of my, my questions. You refer to it as, or you refer to it as the growth equation and then the growth cycle. We're interested about um, what that is. And I think, but I love the concept that if we can teach people to um, consider the right questions by asking the right questions, it can be used in any way, shape or form. Um, so I love that. But tell us more about the growth cycle. Well, when we talk about growth, it can sound like quite a complex procedure, but really simply put growth is progression, anything that helps you take forward. And how do we grow? We do that through pairing self-awareness through that self-reflection practice with self-discipline, the act of doing things that are good for us in our business, applying that to a growth cycle. It's cyclical because the first step, and there are five, we need to take is own it, own how we are feeling. So we might be feeling own it. I had a great year or own it. I had a crappy week or own it. I am not fulfilled. <laughs> Saying that out loud and then to someone you trust can be a game changing exercise. And the reason it's important to own it is because we stop doing what keeps us trapped in inertia, which is lying to ourselves. When we start telling ourselves the truth, 
we can start actually clearing the path of crap and seeing what's real and seeing what's fair is. Mm. And the second step is to find your way back, which is based on a Maori proverb, which is to understand our future. We first, of course, must understand our past. And it's about saying, when was the, if I don't feel great now, that's okay. When was the last time I felt good? And if good to stretch, when was the last time I felt most like myself? For some of us, we think, oh, that was last quarter. For the majority of us, we can think of a time many, many, many years ago when mm. we both felt most like ourselves. And instead of asking the question, well, I should totally change direction, we can if we want. We can ask the next question, which is, let's put a line in the sand. What do I want? How do I want to feel if that's authentic to your thought process? What would I like to achieve? And what would I like to have? And they could be material things, sure. Or they could be emotions or they could be tactical things. Mm. I actually did my recent I want list just last night, actually, because I'm doing through a growth cycle again as I do this book tour. How about that? How's that for irony? And once we've outlined what we want, we then go, okay, how do we bring this into a game plan? Who will help support me? Who might benefit from less time, more time? Mm. And then the final step is take one small step. And celebrate that because when we do that, we build our confidence and mm. confident people take positive steps forward. Mm. And then by the time you've done that, a few years later, you might outgrow again. And the author of this book is doing this process again. <laughs> and you're following your own process. Yeah, it's so funny. I thought, oh, why am I feeling this way? And then I was like, oh, there has to be more. And I, I dusted it off. I've got a few copies here. And I went to the page with the cycle in it and I went, own it what is happening here? And it was so funny. Talk about taking your own medicine. But I think that was the inspiration behind writing the book. I was having identical conversations with myself every few years, thousands of people later. I know this works for the people who want it to. That's fabulous. I love that you can go, what would I say to me? Let me just pick the book up. <laughs> this is a bit of bedtime. It's so funny. And it's a fabulous book for anyone that um, is interested or likes to read. It's a really, it's easy. It flows. It makes so much sense. And it's this beautiful little reminder to go, oh yeah, yeah, that's what I should do. Or that's what I am doing. And, um, and even the celebrate success, you know, leaders in particular get so busy that um, they they forget. Um, so not celebrating success and not reflecting are probably the two where I see um, almost opportunities to um, build that in and nurture it ongoing to prevent some of these things from happening like burnout or there has to be more or whatever else that looks like for the individual. Exactly. Because if we agree, or I'm making the assumption here, if we Put on the table for discussion that growth is progression. How do we know if we've progressed? How mm. do we avoid what experts call a rival fallacy where you achieve a goal and you feel flat because there's no more goal to achieve? How mm. do you continue that? The answer is, of course, progress. The measure for progress is reflecting on where we've been and what we've achieved. And celebrating is one way to build that into your dynamic of, oh, I've got a lot to celebrate. I have achieved and we build confidence through evidence, validation, and self-belief. Celebrating our wins, research has shown, actually increases our confidence. And I think it's also a good marker, a good milestone, particularly for high performers. Often when we talk about, um, what's the word, self, 
uh, to look after yourself. It, people can think, oh, bubble bars and spa bars, and they sound lovely, by the way. For people who are quite esoteric, intelligent, highly driven, highly motivated, the toolkit for self-care is celebrating the wins and reflecting on how far you've come because mm. achievement is part of the fulfillment equation. And knowing you've achieved something both from a practical sense and in a mental sense, you can also ask yourself this, which is, in what ways am I thinking differently or more helpfully than I was three weeks, three months, three years ago. Mm. And that's a sign of growth too, because when you think different, your results are completely different too. I know mm -hmm. that as a student of that as a, and as a benefactor of that too. Yeah. Yeah. And as you start thinking differently and doing differently, you start seeing differently as well. Um, it's that classic, I want to buy a car now. I see it everywhere kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly I was going for a walk with my spouse on one of our many walks and looked down recently and um I'd had a great win at work and we walked around we got this dog this two-year-old whippet and I thought oh, I've never seen this tree it's gorgeous oh look at that architecture oh that house is lovely I was saying to my spouse my spouse said you must be in a good mood I said yeah I did a great deal today and they said you've never talked about the trees and the architecture before and it's because when we celebrate our success, we're able to fortify our sense of self and we're able to look at the world completely different. You know, lived here uh, for a couple of years and I'm seeing trees differently. I mean, that's just a lighthearted example, but imagine what that could do for my business and more importantly, my people. Absolutely. Gosh, there's so much gold in that. I have one last question for you. And um, this is one that I've kind of experienced with the people around. And so a lot of people who, who love you and care for you want you to be safe, uh, I think above all else. Um, and mm. so one of the sections in your book is how you deal with how others might react to your change. And I think uh, that's worth discussing because every time you change, there's other people and some more vocal than others who don't understand it and they don't get it uh, and some that even resist it on your behalf. <laughs> and if you've got any doubt, it can be enough to set you right back where you were and keep you in this frustrating loop or cycle um, for longer than you need to. So how do you kind of cut that? How do you cut that? Yeah, yeah, that's such a superb nuance of outgrowing your life. You know, And on the surface level, it might seem as though other people don't want the same for you as you. It might feel like that. And that might feel like, questions directed as what can feel like insults or it might be an unwillingness to help or a critique and when you're in that state where you're thinking I'm not feeling great or like myself I want to make a change I've done the work to identify the change and you're thinking now I have to pitch my case now I have to get even more energy out of the tank to sell this to people who know me love me trust me like me and want to endorse me that can seem like an overwhelming and really deflating prospect mm. Said, you know, I like to invite people to say, you know, reflect back to a time when somebody was sharing to you something, a change, and you're thinking to yourself, the hell, where did this come from? You know, you've been thinking about this for days, weeks, and months, but for this other person, A, it might be completely new information, and B, you're spot on, Shelley. People who love you only want you to be safe, secure, looked after, and, you know, treated like the god or goddess or person that you are. 
And they're not implying that you're not going to do that. More so, their job is to, in their mind, protect you. And what some forms of protection can come across as I don't approve or Mm. I don't see this as safe. And, you know, that can be in the jugular in terms of what the hell or it can be why would you want to do that? It can feel really judgmenty. But when we come to expect that questions are people who want to know more and might not understand yet, we can actually show them the growth cycle or there has to be more book or say to them, give me a minute while I get used to saying this out loud. And just I wanted you to give me some just some space to air this out as I find my feet or find my pitch, because this is new to me and I'm still learning how to talk about that. Is that okay? When you give someone an opt-in on your own terms, you're kind of buying yourself time. It's a great way to pitch ideas and also <laughs> deal with, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud moments. And you can also, you know, be very open to say, I've gone through a process recently where I'm reevaluating. And the new year is an awesome time to do that because I don't think anyone would find that surprising. Do you mind just, you know, letting me soundboard with you a few things that I'm thinking about? I'm not looking for your approval and I'm not looking for your feedback. I just want to say them out loud. Is that okay? Instinctively, they'll say yes. Because often when people pitch things to us, we can, not always, sometimes think they want my opinion. They want my point of view. Here we go. And when we give them permission just to shut up and listen, it can actually be really lovely. So those are just two techniques that come to mind for me. Ah, that's perfect. Um, I was actually asked whether I had rocks in my head um, when I when I mentioned I was leaving the corporate environment to go into my own business some years ago. And what's interesting is, fortunately, I'd given myself enough time to get comfortable with the idea before I had the conversation, um, and had also been kind of throwing little uh, hints and clues out you know, along the way. So I was hinting at change. It wasn't all, all big. Um, but yeah, that was still the response that I got from someone very close to me. And, you know, you meet that with, uh, with compassion and yep, that's fine. Um, and also <laughs> I think sometimes it gives them permission to go, well, what change do I want in my life as well? What, what have I maybe outgrown that, you know, seeing someone else go through it and share that with conviction mm-hmm. and with confidence can actually have a bit of a snowball effect absolutely and I'm sure we've all got stories of where someone tells us their exciting news and you just feel like your gut you've been kicked in the gut or you've got a gulp in your throat because it's encouraging you think oh do I have that in my life or is that something I want and I love this phrase it's not unique to me of follow your envy which is sometimes we say follow your joy, but sometimes we get clues of things that really cause us to get annoyed. And sometimes people say it's something within ourselves that's yet to be interrogated or looked into compassionately. That's okay. Mm. When people say, are there rocks in your head? That's pretty specific visual. What did you (laughs) find helpful to go from? This is not necessarily about me. What did you find helpful? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, It was, um, they're scared they're scared about this on my behalf. Uh, and it was interesting because when I, I sort of held the mirror up and I was like, you've done this at least 10 times throughout your life. So I think I'm going to be okay if I follow, <laughs> if I follow, you know, some of the things that you, and it completely changed it. It was like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. And what's the saying? Only take advice from people who are in the shoes you're looking to fill or do the things you want to do more of because yeah. you might have a greater appreciation for the steps required. 
So true. Mm. So true. Mm. I love the, I love the inspiration that comes um, from your book. I love the, uh, almost the permission to just, you know, it's okay to ask there, there has, is there more? Um, and then explore that Um, so I think thank you for writing it Uh, I think it's a really good resource for anyone to to pick up Um, but thank you also for joining me on the podcast I think it's really valuable insights that you've given oh I think we had an absolute blast thanks for having me Um, so if anyone wants to connect with Rachel I'll put her details if anyone wants to have a um, get a copy of there has to be more uh, the book I'll put the link um, on the site as well and uh, I look forward to seeing you all uh, for our next dynamic leader conversation thanks thanks again for listening to another episode of the dynamic leader there is no better time than now to work through your leadership and people strategy to establish what the future might look like for your business and how you might empower your people to help you succeed. It is through building the capability of your people and reducing their dependency on you that will keep you moving forward at pace and will see you remaining relevant in the future. I have worked with over 100 businesses across almost as many industries and seen firsthand the challenges that come with employing, engaging and managing staff. If you're looking to improve how you lead, why not reach out for a conversation? In the meantime, thanks so much for joining me and stay awesome.